Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, I'm Daniel. I'm going to give a teaching today from the text Way of the Bodhisattva. And the teaching I'm going to give today is on the chapter called Teachings on Carefulness. Teachings on Carefulness. And I'm going to read the chapter and then comment on it throughout. Um, Carefulness is kind of a boring topic, maybe. Maybe we hear we're going to read the carefulness chapter and we think, oh, well, why can't we read something else, right? But it is important. What are we talking about when we talk about carefulness? We're talking about just uh, reminding ourselves to be virtuous, reminding ourselves to follow the way and try not to harm others and Also, to pay attention to the world around us, because the truth is we need reminders. So we are being careful to make sure we don't sort of fall backwards in our path, being careful to make sure we're we're going forward and we're striving diligently to be kinder and be more aware and more mindful, because these things are very important and they are fundamental to what we're trying to do. So that's why we talk about teachings on carefulness. So I'm going to begin. This is chapter four of Way of the Bodhisattva, teachings on carefulness. The victor's offspring who have thus grasped bodhicitta steadfastly must strive without any lassitude to never violate the precepts. So, um, the precepts are just those those vows we take to not harm others. That's what we're talking about here. Whether you, whichever precepts we take, if we, if we take them, that's what we're talking about. So if you've taken the um, extensive bodhisattva vows that includes a great list of things on how to help others, that's one list of precepts. But there's also a list called the uh, Prati Moksha or lay ordination vows. And that's a much shorter list. And it's just um, in broad strokes to oversimplify. Uh, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit sexual misconduct, don't lie. Kill, steal, sexual misconduct, lie. Don't induce heedlessness in yourself. And that's just a very simple list of vows that a whole lot of people take it's called sometimes called lay ordination and it's just vows people often take when they become buddhist but it, it's just you know those are clearly the things that get in the way of our ability to have harmony in our lives right if you're lying all the time well that's not good if you're stealing well that's not good right these are things that we know get in our way and So I'm going to move on. I really like this next verse. When something has been started rashly or is not properly thought out, even if promised, it is best to examine whether to act or not. And I like that because 
in life, we often just do things and we don't really think about how we're going to react to what happens, especially if we're really sad or really angry. Um, and even if we're feeling the extreme of maybe more positive emotions, we sometimes do things rashly when we're very happy as well. And so what he's saying in the text is, it's best to maybe think for a second before you do things. Best to think for a second before you do things. I think we should be responding to the world instead of just reacting to the world. So in that way, we can be more mindful and make much better choices. At least that's the hope. But why should I put off that which the Buddhas and their offspring have investigated with great prajna and I myself have also examined? Prajna is um, um, great wisdom is prajna. So he's saying, why, why should I put off that which the Buddhas and their offspring have investigated with great wisdom and I myself have also examined? And so... He's saying, you know, we shouldn't do things rashly, but this path, we're not doing this rashly, okay? If now that I have made a promise, I don't fulfill it with my actions, I will have hoodwinked all those beings, and what will be my destiny? A person who thinks in their mind to give some trifling little thing, but does not give it, will become a hungry ghost, it has been said. So this is... Uh, I will, I will go on, actually, before I comment. Having invited them from my heart as guests to sublime happiness, if I deceive all wanderers, will I go to the higher realms? People who give up bodhicitta still being liberated is an inconceivable way of karma that only the omniscient know. Um, and there's going to be more about this, but I just wanted to touch on what this is. He's saying, um, honor your commitments. In this case, he's talking about his commitment to engage the bodhisattva path to um, help others to be more mindful, to spread compassion and try to cultivate wisdom. He's talking about his, his commitment to do that, but this could be applied to most commitments. I think it could be applied to most commitments. If I made a promise, I don't fulfill it with my actions. I will have hoodwinked all those beings and what will be my destiny. Um, we make all sorts of commitments in life. We commit, of obviously we commit in marriage, but I think when we have kids, we make a commitment to be there for them, or at least we should. And there are, I mean, we don't think of like employment contracts as a commitment, but if you sign something for your job, you've made a commitment and you should try to honor that. It should be true of, of anything. Your word should matter. This downfall for a bodhisattva is the most serious of all. If it occurs, their benefit to all sentient beings is diminished. So that's just don't give up. Don't give up. Keep trying. Keep trying to better yourself. Keep trying to make a better world for yourself and others. Keep trying. Um, it, they say that it's better to not start this path than to start it and give it up at some point. I don't know that I agree with that, but that is the traditional statement. Anyone else who thwarts their merit even a moment will be born endlessly in the lower realms since they've decreased all beings' welfare. 
if one who spoils the happiness of even a single being is ruined. Why mention ruining the well-being of infinite beings throughout time and space? Let's, um, there's very cosmic language here. There's very powerful imagery in cosmic language, and I don't want you to get caught up in that. It's just to say, we should be striving to not get in the way of the well-being of others. We should be at all times trying to make this world a better place. Okay. If swinging back and forth between strong downfalls and strong bodhicitta, you mix them in samsaric cycles, it will take long to reach the levels. Samsaric means suffering. Therefore, I will, with dedication, accomplish what I promise to do. If from now on I make no effort, I'll go from lower to lower realm. So if we don't really try, it's not going to do anything for us. Okay, that's pretty clear. Though countless Buddhas have appeared and benefited all sentient beings, due to my wrongs, I have not been a beneficiary of their succor. If I still act in, a way, in such a way over and over again, I will experience in the lower realms being sick, bound, hacked, and stabbed, and such. Um, this lower realms talk, it's implicit in the text that Shantideva is talking about he believes in rebirth, which is just that when you die, you're born in another life, and your life circumstances are, to some extent, based on your actions in your previous life. I take rebirth to be metaphorical, that is, um, if I do something bad, I think it comes back to me, at least in the sense of I'm judging myself and I'm feeling bad, right? So I do, I do take rebirth as more metaphorical and less literal. That said, take it however you want. I don't think you have to take it literally. I do think you can, though. But any of this talk about lower realms and this experience will happen, that's what that's about. It's rare a Tathagata appears, rare to gain faith, a human body, and the ability to cultivate virtue. When will I ever have these again? A tathagata is another way of saying an enlightened being. So he's saying, I should appreciate these circumstances. I, because of these circumstances, I can practice mindfulness and virtue. So I should appreciate these and I should really be trying here because what has happened to me is so unlikely. Although on days such as today I may be healthy, fed, and safe, life will deceive me in an instant. This body is a momentary loan. So um, we should know how fleeting life is. We have countless examples. But at the same time, we tend to think that this awful thing is not going to happen to me, right? Um, we don't expect to get in a car accident suddenly and die. We don't expect to be diagnosed with a sudden, fast-acting, rare illness, but any of those things can happen at any time. Life is completely fleeting. Um, so then the question is, if you knew you were going to die, would you be kinder? Would you have better try to have better relationships with the people around you? What would you do? Because you are going to die. Life is fleeting, and it can go any time. And that's a scary thing to think about, and we do try to hide from that, but it's the truth. Behaving like this, I will not get a human body ever again. If I don't gain a human body, there's only wrong and never good.
If I do not act virtuously despite my fortune to do good, what will I do when stupefied by the suffering in the lower realms? If I do not perform any virtues and accumulate misdeeds, I'll never for billions of eons even hear the words, the higher realms. And so again, we're talking about rebirth. And he's saying, you know, I'm lucky enough to be born this way. So in this situation, I need to practice virtue because in a worse situation, it sure would be harder, right? It sure would be harder. So why would I not do this now? And I just say, we can make the world a better place for ourselves and others. We can have a more harmonious life. We can add more awareness, more mindfulness to our lives, and that allows us to live more fully. So why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? The truth is that just coming from a place of total selfishness does not bring us real happiness. We, we t sometimes tend to think it does, but the truth is it doesn't. Therefore, the Bhagavan taught gaining a human body is as hard as for a turtle to stick its neck through a yoke tossed on the vast seas. The Bhagavan's another name for the Buddha. And so he's saying that we're lucky to be born in this circumstance. And I would add to that and say, like, you're lucky to be born in a life circumstance where you can hear this right now. Because there are plenty of human beings on this planet who have much worse life circumstances than you. No matter who you are, there are plenty of people who are struggling to get clean water, you know? Um, we're lucky to be born in this time and place. If we had been born in another time and place, things could be much less pleasant for us, right? So that that's an important thing. We're lucky. I... Um, I have I I still say I have epilepsy. I had I had childhood epilepsy. Um and I say that because I haven't had a seizure in over 20 years, but that said that could it could come back anytime. But I'm lucky to have been born in the time that I was born and there was medicine I could take for that when I was very small. If I had been born 100 years ago, I would not have been able to take medicine and I don't know what would have happened to me, right? So in that sense, I have that medical condition and I'm lucky that I was born in the time and place I was born in. So that could be helped. And maybe we all have things like that. Not all of us, but many, many people have things like that where, you know, if you've had a modern medical intervention of any kind, like just think it could have been a disaster if you were born a long time ago. Or if you were born somewhere without access to modern medicine, right? So I'm, I'm thankful of the time and place where I was born so that my epilepsy could be managed when I, when I was a kid. If due to a wrong done in an instant, one will stay eons in the incessant, what need to say that due to misdeeds I've done in beginningless samsara, I will not go to the higher realms? After I have experienced that much, I won't be freed from there. For while I am experiencing that I, this, I will still produce more misdeeds. So we're just talking about rebirth some more. 
Now that I've gained such leisure as this, if I don't cultivate the virtues, there's no deception other than this, nor any greater idiocy. And if once I have realized this, I am deluded, still despondent, when the time comes for me to die, I'll feel tremendous grief well up. So death seems like something that makes a lot of people have grief, right? But I think if you've been around dying people, you know that sometimes they just face it with grace. Sometimes they just they just face it with grace and they just accept what's happening. Um, and so that's a thing to think about. If you've lived a good life, maybe you can accept what's happening with a little more calm. When the intolerable flames of hell have burned my body long, there is no doubt that blazing fires of dreadful rue will rack my mind. Somehow by luck, I've gained a place of benefit so hard to get. If I, while I am cognizant, am led back to those hells again, it's as if I've been bewitched by spells and I have no will, no will in this. I don't know what's deluded me. What do I have inside of me? So, hell. Um... Buddhism has the idea of hell realms, and in this context, it's, again, we're talking about rebirth, and again, I think this is metaphorical, but it is just the idea that you could be born in just a horrifying place, and you're there for a while, and then you die, and you're reborn somewhere else, okay? So if you really live a really bad life, you could be reborn in a really awful place that we call a hell, and, but Thankfully, you're not there forever. You live there for a while. And again, you have an opportunity to try to improve your merits. And if you do, you can then be born in a better place. So that's what we're talking about in a Buddhist text when they mention hell or hell realms or hells. Aversion, craving, and so forth. My enemies have no limbs and such. They are not brave or wise, and yet they've somehow made me like a slave. As long as they dwell in my mind, they'll cause me harm at their own pleasure. It's wrong to bear that without anger. Being patient would be blameworthy. So our worst enemy is our own aversion, attachment, emotional baggage, neuroses. These things get in our way often. So that's what he's saying. My real enemies have no limbs and such. They're my own negative mind states that I'm trying to overcome. If all the gods and demigods arose against me as my foes, they could not take or force me to the fires of the incessant hell. This powerful enemy, afflictions, will cast me in an instant there, where even Mount Maru would be turned to ash on contact. Nothing left. The adversaries, my afflictions, last long without beginning or end. No other enemy is able to endure so long a time as them. Everyone, when attended kindly, is helpful, and will try to please, but when afflictions are appeased, they inflict more suffering in return. So what uh, that part just means 
you know, if I give in to my temptations all the time, um, it's not really going to help me. Rather, it's going to make it easier to give in to my temptations all the time. It is a vicious cycle that can happen. And again, and same thing. If I react in anger all the time, it's going to make it easier to react in anger next time. These are habits that we develop. And they harm us a great deal. If thus my long and constant enemies, the only cause of the proliferation of manifold harms, remain within my heart, can I be safe and happy in samsara? Samsara is the realm of suffering? If the keepers of the prison of samsara, such as the murderous butchers in the hells, live in the webs of greed within my mind, how can there be any happiness for me? Therefore, until I see that I have truly slain this enemy, I will not slacken in my efforts. Those who are filled with pride, once angered, cannot sleep until those who have caused a slight offense are killed. Once the afflicted who suffer from a mortal nature enter the fray of battle with a strong wish to triumph, they scorn the pain of being struck by spears and arrows and won't retreat until they have attained their goal. For me who strives to vanquish my true, natural foes that always are the cause of every suffering, what need is it there to say I won't now be dismayed or daunted by the hundred causes of misery? If someone wounded pointlessly by enemies will flaunt their scars as decorations on their body, how then is suffering a cause of injury for me who truly strives to accomplish a great purpose? If fishermen, outcasts, farmers, and so forth, with only thought of their own livelihood, forbear the harms of heat and cold and such, why don't I bear with those being for with those for being's wheel? So I don't want to overthink this. Um he's going out of his way to say, hey, my negative mind states are my real problems, my biggest problems in life. And I don't want to overthink that and say, well, there's no problems but that, you know, because there are certainly people in horrifying situations in real life, right? And I, so I don't want to say that this is automatically true for everyone. It's your problems are your fault. You need to just get over it. That would be a bad message in my opinion. But I do want to say this, many of our problems are self-created, Many of our problems are self-created. And a lot of the time when things get hard, we react with a mind that says, why is this happening to me? And it would be better if we could learn to react with a mind that says, right now it's like this, what can I do to make it better? Do you hear the difference there? Why is this happening to me? Is like, not helpful. It's a real overreaction. It's a real um, just getting obsessed with what's happening and what can I do is sort of rising above and just saying, okay, well, this is what's happening. I need to face this. I need to face this with a calm and even mind or else I'm not going to make the right choices to fix whatever's happening. And that's what we're talking about. Clear thinking helps us make good choices. Okay, clear thinking helps us make good choices. 
When I swore I would free all beings to the ends of space in all directions from the afflictions, I myself was not yet free of afflictions. So we're we're declaring we're going to help others, and the truth is we still need to help ourselves, right? Um, a famous Buddhist teacher named Michael Stone said, we teach best what we need to learn. We teach best what we need to learn. And that just means just because I'm afflicted with emotional baggage, that doesn't mean I can't help other people with their emotional baggage, right? How is it speaking without knowing my limitations when it's not insane? Therefore, I'll never be turned back in subjugating the afflictions. I'll cling to this tenaciously and enter battle bearing a grudge against afflictions other than the type that conquer the afflictions. It would be better to be slain by being burnt or decapitated. In no way shall I ever bow before my enemy, the afflictions. Though ordinary enemies, when banished, will stay in other lands which they adopt to build their power until their return, the enemy affliction is not so. Wretched afflictions cast out by the eye of Prajna. When they are driven from my mind, where can they go? Where can they stay so that they can return to harm me? It's just that I, weak-minded, have not persevered. Afflictions do not dwell in objects in the senses or between, nor are they somewhere else. Where do they dwell that harm all beings? They're like illusions. Rid your heart of fear and apply diligence for the sake of prajna. Why let them torment you pointlessly in hell? I've contemplated thus and now will strive to undertake the precepts as described. How can a patient who needs medicine be cured if they ignore the doctor's advice? I love that last line because um, the truth is most of the time we know what we need to do. We know what we need to do. In this case, practice virtue, train in mindfulness, cultivate wisdom, practice compassion. These are the things we need to do. And if we do those things, we're going to be able to overcome our afflictions. That's not to say that um, you'll come to a point where you can stub my, stub your toe and then you just look down and say, lo, there is pain in my body. You know, you're going to still stub your toe and swear probably. Um, and that's okay. Because none of us have it all figured out. But what I want to advocate for, what I want to learn how to do, what I really want to express is we can learn how to stop making things worse for ourselves to stop making things worse so um there's a teaching called the second arrow and that is just that um if you're hit by an arrow this is a metaphor if you're hit by an arrow and then that hurts Right. And then if you are just obsessed with this arrow hitting you, that's like a second arrow in your mind. That is your obsession is making the pain worse, making the pain worse. One time I had a flat tire. Um, I had a slow leak in my tire. That is so my tire started to go flat in my car and I drove and I put air in the tire and then I saw it was start 
a little bit later, it was starting to go flat again. And what did I do? Well, I suffered over it. I thought, oh, shoot, I'm going to need a new tire. I need to call into work. How long is it going to take me to get a new tire? Can this be patched, I wonder? Tires are expensive. How long is it going to take me to pay for this tire? Because I don't have the cash right now. Oh, my gosh. How long is this going to take? I still have to pick up kids from school today. Blah, 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 blah. Right? So I've got all that going in my mind. And that's the second arrow. The first arrow is my slow leak in my tire. And then the second arrow is I'm thinking of all the ways this this can get worse. And I'm suffering over it. I'm suffering over it. And we do that all the time. All the time. So the teaching on carefulness can really be, hey, be careful not to do that. Watch your mind. Watch your mind. Stop thinking about how everything can go wrong. Plan for the worst, of course, but we don't need to obsess about the worst thing happening because the truth is it won't always happen. And that day when I had that slow leak, I took it to a place called Discount Tire and I was back driving in 30 minutes because that place is great and they only do tires. Um, And so I worried and stressed myself out for nothing. And I think we all have experiences like that where we worry and stress ourselves out and it turns out, oh, nothing bad happened at all. It was fine. Okay. So I want you to reflect on that and reflect on areas where you have had an experience where something inconvenient happened and you got obsessed and started thinking of it as a crisis when it wasn't. Try to think about that. Um, That's it for today. This has been the chapter on teachings on carefulness. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and have a good day. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.